Welcome back to another edition of the Edge Podcast. Publisher Brendan Slaughter here for BeaversEdge.com, joined by Beaver's Edge writer and KEGO radio host TJ Matthews. And we're back here on another edition of the Big Podcast. Good to be talking with you guys again. Uh, TJ and I are coming to you from different locations today is the last month of August. We've been doing quite a few uh, videos together from uh, uh, down in Corvallis, but excited to preview San Jose State with you guys this weekend. Oregon State's getting the season kicked off on Sunday, as weird as that sounds. Nope, not NFL football, folks. Oregon State football on CBS on Sunday. So we'll be uh, diving into that. But uh, TJ, good to talk with you, man. Fall camp in the rear view. Uh, you were down in Corvallis today uh, as we we're recording this on a Wednesday talking to the offense. How's the mood as we're uh, getting ready for a kickoff on Sunday? Everyone was pretty excited, to be honest. I'm pretty excited. Me too. Less practice, more games. Uh, I know yeah. everyone else agrees. Like <laughs> we're at a we're at a less practice, more games mentality now, and it's good to get the the coaches and players before the games start. And sure. you know, wins or losses might dictate what kind of mood everyone's in. I mean, we got Lindgren and and the three offense, three senior offensive linemen, and uh, and and DJ today. It's always a, such a treat to talk to DJ. I mean, seriously, sure. like he is. Like I say media trained, which I don't know that's bad. Or like he's very composed, like concise right. answers. Like he's genuine, very, very genuine in, in all of his answers. It's great. Like I'm sure most of you already watch his videos, but if you don't, I recommend it. I mean, he's a he's a treat of a human, it seems like, and I'm excited to finally watch him play in live action in an Oregon State uniform for the first time this weekend. Well, I mean, TJ, those 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 who I talk to do say that the Beaver's Edge YouTube channel is unmatched in the Beaver sphere. So I don't know why you wouldn't be watching those YouTube videos uh, to begin with. But no, uh, all jokes aside, I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, every time we've gotten a chance to talk to DJ, he is just the man. And, uh, you know, more than the fact that I think Oregon State's getting a terrific quarterback this year. And I think, um, you know, it, it's really hard to compare previous guys. I've kind of really tried to dive into it and be like, is he the most talented quarterback since? Sean Mannion, who is the program's all-time leading passer. But, you know, is he, you know, was, you know, the pro, all those things. So does it go back further? Is he as talented as Derek Anderson? Is he the most talented quarterback ever in Oregon State history? And, yes, you know, obviously go back to Terry Baker and the Heisman Trophy back in the old days. So got to give that its respect, too. But it's, it's just an influx of talent, TJ, just to kind of give DJ his brief moment, that the Beavers just don't typically have at that position particularly no they haven't but again for as talented as he is I mean, the person really stands out as well and i think he does working with an offense and working with an offensive coordinator that means as much as anything and they talked about that and if you listen to our, our video with brian lindgren and the question i asked him was i guess what was the, like the one real thing you wanted to see from dj right along those lines in in camp to be confident in naming him starter it was that I, I want to feel like when DJ's on the field, we're thinking the same thing at the same time. When we're looking at this defense and we're, we're organizing plays and we have 12 personnel on the field, we're both thinking the exact same thing. And, you know, that's got to be able to work with people if that's the case. And it seems like right. that's the case. And that's why he was named starting quarterback, uh, I guess, still under two weeks ago. But still, I mean, yeah, we, no. we we know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, again, if you'd been on the uh, if you've been on with us, you know, for the month of August, you know, it's been bu busy time over Beaver's Edge dot com. TJ and I were at every practice this year. and We kind of felt confident after 
the first week, but then knew for sure in our minds after the first scrimmage that we were able to see ourselves, and, and that was, you know, as Jonathan Smith talked about in his press conference on Monday, that was kind of the determining differences in in the battle. I think there were obviously a lot of uh, a lot of factors for sure, but when you consider that, you know, he looked you know, hands and feet like the best quarterback in those scrimmages, uh, that decision ultimately became a, a pretty simple. And again, uh, just want to uh, uh, obviously look into DJ and what his long-term potential can be. Uh, TJ, in a sense, is the sky the limit for him this year? As far as the pressure being off, he's, you know, it, it really does seem like in, in a true sense outside of like, you know, Beaver Nation, for lack of better terms, it's kind of sliding under the radar a little bit. I, here's a question I have. Is the pressure really off? Like, it feels like it, doesn't it? Is the pressure? Like, I mean, it, let me put it this way. Maybe it's national championship pressure versus sure. conference championship sure. pressure. Hey, we right? had someone call into the we had and, someone call into KEJO yesterday and said the Beavers were finishing their season losing to Georgia in the national championship. So I'm not going like... to put any limit. I'll say this: I'm not going to put any limits on this football team under head coach Jonathan Smith. I think I know what they're going to be this year, and I think I can predict a a path where they could, you know, have a very successful season. What that looks like, you know, TJ and I will give some rough predictions uh, uh, a little bit later in the podcast, but. It's, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, it's fascinating to talk about, um, you know, definitely something we'll revisit over the course of the season to kind of, because it is, it's a fascinating question and something uh, worth getting into. But a couple other things we want to get into on the podcast, just some, uh, you know, news and notes, so to speak, TJ, I want to get your thoughts. We saw a lot of practice, every practice, obviously. Were you surprised as I was that Calvin Hart got the other inside linebacker spot over John Miller based on everything that we saw in fall camp. So was Calvin Hart just not healthy the first like two weeks for why we didn't see him at all. Like that must be it because I mean, Calvin Hart was really like a last two weeks is when we were really starting to see him out there with some meaningful snaps. And it was like, well, okay. Like, all right, cool. But like John Miller was out there with both units the entire camp and yeah. from the way the way they made it seem like with, with the amount of guys they were deploying him with and for when Easton was not playing for most right. of camp, it was John Miller who was seemed like the steady one out there. So I thought right. it was honestly kind of surprising that 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 he didn't he didn't get it. That was kind of surprising. But, you know, coaches watch more film than I do. So, yeah, I mean, I like I said, that that was that was the one big surprise I had, you know, with the depth chart and those takeaways was, you know, just because what we saw with our own eyes and it wasn't like there were a whole bunch of closed practices. You know, I think there were four or five, including a scrimmage that we didn't get to see eyes on. And, you know, Jonathan did say it was about, you know, Calvin Hart's grasp of the playbook and his physicality. So it, it makes me wonder if him coming over from Illinois being the proven commodity as opposed to Miller, who hasn't been a specific, you know, inside linebacker starter for more than some brief moments i'm trying to think if he's gotten a, a starting appearance off the top of my head i know he's played you know special teams and whatnot and in backup roles but maybe maybe there's some familiarity there jonathan just say he kind of earned the right those were his words hard to right. uh, go out there which was kind of interesting uh to me but again i expect micaiah tongue and john miller those guys kind of used to respect the backups there to play quite a bit um the only other kind of tweak that was you know uh, unique was uh, TJ and I talked about it uh, a little bit, I believe, on the damn board was Atticus Sappington winning the uh, the kicking job over Everett Hayes. That's 
largely due to Everett Hayes' injury the final week or so of camp. But as far as, like, accuracy goes, TJ, those guys were pretty close all camp. Yeah, and we keep saying the big difference between the two is Everett's got the leg outside of 40. If you're outside of 40 with Sappington, it really wasn't wasn't consistent last year, like during camp. Again, sure. we didn't get a, a massive volume to look at, but largely still not very consistent. So if Sappington's kicking from inside of 40, I think you'd feel okay with it. But otherwise, I think that's the w- one real thing that Beaver fans probably need to keep an eye on. And it was kind of... You know, it was probably a little disheartening to see Everett Hayes out there in gym shorts. A couple starting like the second week and a half, you're like, oh, uh-oh, Everett's not kicking again. Just like he right. explained explicitly said last year that the reason he didn't kick well is because he hurt his groin in the final week of fall camp before games started. And here we are in the final week before games start in fall camp, and Everett Hayes hurts his groin again. Yeah, so that's gonna stink for him. I mean, he's you know probably worked all off season trying to get healthy and and do all this stuff and be ready for the season. And the same injury comes back the exact same I mean, time. So we'll see, uh, we'll see how like, it is. They, they tried not to make it sound serious. Right. I'm curious to see how long they don't let him kick. I'm sure he's get, like, we're going to ask every week. I think yeah. we should every week on if Everett's healthy because, you know, walking around, he looks fine. Right. Um, so it's, a, it's something to keep an eye on. And I think, I think very interesting. Certainly. In the fact, I mean, and, yeah, and you I hope, remember- you hope at this point that, this will the the kicking game will not decide a game for the Beavers in these these games that ever it's out. You think sure. so? You'll have probably until Washington State. You would assume that the kicking game will not decide a game until that. Yeah, I mean, and, and 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 I will say this just from my own eyes from last year to now. I I will say that I think uh, Atticus Sappington has gotten better from when Beaver fans saw him last year as far as consistency goes. TJ said. The distance is still a little bit of an issue. I think if I recall in the first spring game, he hit like a 44-yarder, something along those lines. So I would say that's pretty close to his range. But again, we haven't gotten like, hey, here these guys are. They're going to kick at various ranges for 20 minutes. Here's 50 kicks. (laughs) Yeah, we've never – we haven't gotten to see that. So that part's a little unknown to us. But an important uh, thing to note there. And then uh, last but not least, definitely want to touch base on, uh, you know, the defense – Interesting the way the Beavers laid it out. They're almost going with they, – they removed an outside linebacker, and it's now more of a hybrid defensive end uh, outside linebacker of sorts. Jonathan Smith said it was mostly semantics. I, I agree with him. Based on everything that TJ and I saw in fall camp, the Beavers like to run five defensive backs almost all the time. Not right. some of the time where it's like, hey, we rotate in a nickel sometimes – no, they want to run five DBs at all times, it seems, or, you know, maybe not goal line, obviously, but, you know, a yeah. large portion of the time because I think they feel that they've got the guys to get, you know, five really good football players on the field. So that's something to, keep, to uh, you know, keep an eye on this year too, TJ, as far as just like, you know, how things might be different. But it didn't sound like Oregon State's making any wholesale defensive scheme changes. And I think it also allows Trent Bray to be a little more, I'd say, fluid with, you know, switching between a 3-4 or a 4-3. Because if you, I don't know, if they're not, I'm trying to do some quick math here, adding up to 11. So if you only have four, if you only have four DBs on the field and you take an outside linebacker off the field, then you can throw an extra defensive lineman down. But then again, like like, guys like Andrew Chatfield line up like a defensive lineman probably about 90% of the time anyways. So it doesn't really matter that much whether you label him as a linebacker or a defensive lineman. Most 
most yeah. of the time he's just going to be running forward and not dropping back into coverage. We didn't really see those guys drop back into the coverage a, a whole lot. So no. that's probably why you, you also need the five defensive backs back there. But if they really think the defensive backs are like, if they think those guys are, are better suited in coverage than dropping an extra linebacker in coverage, by the way, which I just hate because some yeah. linebackers should never be in coverage ever. So if you really think that, even if they're undersized, I mean, go for it. The only thing yeah. you'd have to risk is is yards after the catch and, and guys getting blocked downfield. So, that I mean, that's a risk they're willing to roll. And sure. it, at least throughout camp, that seems like what they're willing to do. Yeah, and, and we have to note, TJ, is, and, you know, you've wrote about it multiple times uh, on beaversedge.com, has been uh, the defensive line pressure, along with those two DNs, outside linebackers, whatever you want to call them, they've been getting good pressure throughout everything we saw. And this is probably going to be the best quarterback pressure year. And, again, we got a story on beaversedge.com right now, 10 bold predictions for the upcoming season. And we talked a little bit about sacks. And, again, check that out at beaversedge.com. Uh, it's an exclusive story for our subscribers, but for, you know, TJ, for Oregon state to have the kind of season that they want to have, they need a lot more sacks than they had last year. A lot more. Yeah. Yeah. And not even sacks. I mean, sacks are just the number you get at the end. You need pressure. Sure. And right. unfortunately in college, like pressure is a little hard to quantify. The NFL has sure. this nice, massive database yeah, of things true. you can, of you can, that things that you could pick out in college. It's, it's a little shaky as I go look at San Jose state. It's like, wow, they had a lot of sacks last year. How was their pressure? And it's just like yeah, kind of right, right. shrug. So, uh, you know, pressure both on the exterior and the interior as well. I think we've seen good interior pressure so far. I mean, I think we've seen Thomas Collins get some good interior pressure Guys like Takari Hickel inside. I mean, even Isaac Hodgins, who's not really a guy who's going to rush the quarterback. He's mostly just there to, to fill up the middle of the, the offensive line. But sure. even he in, in camp was was getting some good pressure on the quarterback. So I think, you know, those two facets are, are pretty important. And great defensive lines are ones that pressure from the interior. And I think the Beavers have a couple guys this year, if, you know, they translate what yeah. they did in camp into games, that they will be able to pressure from the interior. And that just screws up an entire offense. Absolutely. And like a couple guys that you met, like Sione Lolohea comes to mind. James Rawls comes to mind. Um, you know, obviously you mentioned Drew Chatfield, who kind of lined up all over the place. Hodge, uh, you know, Takari Hickel. He had some big moments in camp. He was on that depth chart. And, you know, for the most part, TJ, uh, outside of those couple guys, it's always, um, you know, a good feeling when you predict most of the depth chart correctly. And, you know, we, we pretty much, you know, with all the rotations that you and I had taken all of fall camp, we weren't off really on the biggest thing that we were like, you know, caught by surprise with was Calvin Hart over John Miller. Other than that, it played out exactly as we expected it to. Yeah, well, I think that's a I think good thing for our re reporting repertoire, I would say. Yeah, no, for sure. And, <laughs> and, you know, again, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I'm, it's, it's, it's nice to see the progression of guys over the course of camp be like, you know, we actually did see guys like rise and fall on that depth chart with their performances in front of our eyes. Like you and I on day one of fall camp would not have pegged Zach card to be in the two deep for the wide receivers on offense. He was had some nice moments in spring. Sure. But Aiden Childs had some nice moments in spring as well, right? So taking that to fall camp, and here we are now. Like Zach Card is one of the more fresh, one of the more impressive guys. Excuse me, uh, in fall camp, TJ. You know some of those other guys, Jeremiah Noga, Trent Walker. Talking a little bit about the receivers now. Those were all guys that made big time plays. So 
it really does seem to me that some of the position battles that there were as far as like backups, you know, whether it be offensive line, I think of, you know, maybe uh, outside linebacker, maybe defensive back as we see uh, a couple freshmen and Jermaud McCoy and Noble Thomas pop in there. It really seemed to me, TJ, that at least on this first step chart, the two deep as far as the backups, they really seem to reward the guys who just impressed in camp. Like you think of a guy like Jermaud McCoy, how many times did we say, you know, that's a freshman to watch? Noble Thomas, I remember calling his name a couple times. Uh, you know, we had, you know, some people, re- you know, asking us about, you know, why Olu Amatosho was not on the two deep at defensive line or outside linebacker. In reality, TJ, we didn't see a whole lot of him in the final. He didn't play. You know, you know, week and a half, two weeks of camp. So, you know, there, there, like, there's all I think reasons for it. But you know, all that's to say, I think, you know, uh, Oregon State definitely re- rewarded those guys who who played really well in fall camp. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm glad you ma- mentioned Zach Carr because uh, I was kind of thinking about this of how the Beavers are really gonna spark their downfield pass game in this first yeah. game. You'd like to see something that's like, hey, like we've actually taken a step forward like, in this space. Yeah. Anthony Gould is going to be one one guy, but the other guy who's going to be going deep is Zach Card. I mean, he's he's yeah. got really Wheels. good, really good burners. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on. I mean, I don't think they'll be sending like Silas on on go routes, not probably not backed up in, in your own end zone or the other guys. Mm-hmm. I think those would be the two that San Jose State is like, yep, yeah, these two are not beating us deep and you know Zach Hart's probably gonna run a handful of routes and I would imagine most of them are gonna be going that way that way and let him let DJ really really wind up and throw the ball but um and that and that yeah I I don't know what sense part of the game they're gonna do that I don't know if that's first play I don't know if uh, that's whatever but I guess we'll have to see yeah and I'm I'm you know selfishly again TJ and I kind of overlapped on some practices obviously this year I haven't DJ. I haven't seen DJ throw the ball as far as he threw it day one of spring since, and that was when you know I saw him on court probably about a pass that went like seventy yards. So the kid has an absolute cannon, and I'm just kind of excited just to see, just send a guy deep and you know throw it. You know, I'm just kind of curious to see what his true arm strength is because even still, TJ, we've been watching all of fall camp. I mean, a little bit with the scrimmage. But for the most part, still like half field offense kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Half field offense, red zone offense. Like yes. Not actually trying to move the ball down the field, just executing exactly. or installing. So yeah, I'm I'm ready for game day. It's good. I'm I'm glad football is back. Thank <laughs> yeah. goodness. Thank goodness. Yeah, no, football is back and, and no, it's not week zero. So we don't have to uh, try to rationalize to ourselves that college football is back when there's, you know, ten teams playing last weekend. But nevertheless, as TJ mentioned, the San Jose Spar- San Jose State Spartans are the opponent on Sunday. And again, uh, I'd be curious, feel free to drop comments uh, here on this YouTube video or on the damn board. As far as I know, this is the only Oregon State game I can remember on a Sunday. So that's kind of a unique thing for Oregon State in itself. The Beavers will play on a national TV network, which is pretty cool if you ask me and CBS on, uh, on a non-NFL Sunday in the fall. So I think there's a lot of uniqueness and I think there's going to be just about anybody in America who's, you know, chilling in front of their TV on Sunday afternoon. will have a chance to flip through this on the, you know, cable dials and whatnot. And, you know, for, uh, you know, Oregon state, I think that's awesome exposure leading into this season. So again, San Jose state has the benefit of uh, playing already TJ. They, uh, they fell to USC 
56-28 last week down in uh, the Coliseum. They'll be ho- now San Jose State will host Oregon State down in San Jose State for the opener. A bit of a closer result than you maybe would have expected. I think you can talk about this, rationalize this, break it down in different ways. I think somewhere in the middle. San Jose State is a decent football team, decent Mountain West team, but USC's defense is still very bad. Yeah, I was about to say. So where are we measuring this? Are we measuring yeah. this with the with that San Jose State like actually has a talented quarterback <laughs> and they can score three touchdowns and look pretty good? Or is it that USC still can't tackle? Hmm. Yeah, I, so maybe, I didn't see a whole I lot of improvement a, there, I think TJ. we might get a better measuring stick this weekend. Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, USC, you know, they they talked all offseason about how, you know, the defense is going to be so much better with all these transfers, man. And, uh, you know, maybe San Jose State deserves the credit. We'll see on Sunday. I'm not going to make any declarative statements one way or the other. But, you know, the the football analyst in me is like, hmm, Hmm. it looks a lot like the team that uh, Tulane had some fun with in the Cotton Bowl. So here's what I think about when I saw that game. The one thing that like really jumped out to me about like what Oregon State can exploit, it honestly wasn't one specific thing on defense or one specific thing on offense because in the end, Oregon State's a 16 and a half point favor on the road. So, you know, Vegas thinks like this team is way better than the other team and they should win. Special, there should be some opportunity in special teams. I know I Anthony so. Gould or Silas Bolden is not Zachariah Branch. I mean, holy moly, that kid <laughs> is... Yeah, uh, like lightning. He absolutely was. But you watch that kick return touchdown he had, and he also had a, a three punt returns where he averaged 22 yards a return in that mm. game. There's going to be some room for returns for for Oregon State. I mean, you like Zachariah Branch is an awesome athlete, but Oregon State's the one who has the two preseason all conference returners on their team. It's true. And I'll be curious to see how that how that kick coverage is for San Jose State if they. They can improve it with the within a week facing maybe their toughest special teams test of the season. Yeah, that's a good point because you know also you know you, you when you consider in that respect you know I think I think back to Jonathan Smith on uh, Tuesday almost said Monday but that whole press conference being on Tuesday it's throwing me week, off too. Dude, DJ <laughs> didn't even know what day of the week it was today. I know. It's like what day was it? What day is it? Today? Yeah, we, we yeah after this we're <laughs> and you know TJ with two Friday games this year too they're gonna do it to us two more times this year so I, I'm curious to know how that's gonna you know, impact things too, as it goes, you know, for our schedule, but you know, all that to say it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely interesting as we get closer and closer to it. But I go back to what Jonathan Smith said in his press conference about, you know, making the biggest adjustments from week one to week two. And that's a pretty universal, you know, knowledge, you know, you know, the insider knowledge across college football, if you will. And, you know, I imagine San Jose State will clean some things up as you kind of get those first game jitters out of the way. But this is a, a, a matchup where I think Oregon State will have a big time advantage in the trenches. Um, and, you know, San Jose State, for what fan base, you know, they do have, they'll probably try to pack their stadium. This is probably their home Super Bowl this year, for lack of better terms. Oregon, it benefits Oregon State greatly that they're not the best team on their schedule because I do think San Jose State put a lot on the line to go toe-to-toe with USC. I mean, USC's top 10 team, right? That's a that's a big opportunity. Not to and a million say, dollars. Yeah, that that too. <laughs> and, and um, you know, Oregon, not to say Oregon State's a, a slouch coming in, you know, top 20, but 
you know, I, I think, you know, San Jose State definitely got themselves up for that USC game, especially in-state kind of a thing uh, between those two schools. And, you know, I'd be willing to bet, TJ, a lot of guys that went to San Jose State and grew up in California probably dreamed of playing for USC. You think I'm wrong? Mm-hmm. No. Nope. So, you know, it, it's, it's you know, I, I think they were geared up for that game. How this one ultimately shakes out, I think Oregon, I think it will be closer than people expect. I think it may be like a 21 point Oregon State victory, you know, 16 and a half, maybe more like 17. San Jose State will, you know, they, they, they will score some points. I mean, I think early on, you know, Chevin Cordero, you know, great athlete, dual threat. He's going to cause issues, um, you know, caused issues for USC. You know, I believe there was a play where it was like third and 25. And he scrambled for a first yeah, down. Third and 22, pocket breaks down, scrambles for a first <laughs> down. San Jose State goes down the field and scores a touchdown. So I'll tell you this, TJ. If uh, if that happens down in San Jose, I think we could all hear Trent Bray maybe slamming his fist down on the coach's box table, like up here in Corvallis. So, yeah. you know, that's that's going to be something where, you know, I, I know Beaver fans, you know, hear the words mobile quarterback. They're like, you know, oh, ah. Uh, Trent Bray's done a pretty good job at handling mobile quarterbacks since he's taken over as DC. I really don't think Oregon State's going to be uh, undisciplined or unstout. I mean, there there may be some first game, yeah. you know, oh, missed a tackle here, or so, I still think it's yeah. possible. Uh, Go ahead. No, I'll say I was thinking about last year in the opener. I mean, Taylor Green we're, wasn't expecting him at all. Dual threat guy right. who's starting at Boise State now. Right. And he ran for over 100 yards last year in the opener. That, like, that was the kind yeah. of only thought I really thought of. Otherwise, you're right. They did really contain yeah most of those I mean, Caleb threats. Williams comes to mind obviously with the push right. on you know with the game on the line and sorry to bring that up Oregon State fans it's uh it's it's still the wound might still be fresh there but uh yeah it's you know I think he will cause some issues and again as you mentioned you know some talented running backs you know Conley had over 100 yards rushing and uh you know they've got playmakers and you know I, I'd be remiss if I did not mention Brent Brennan former Oregon State staffer La Moibau, former Oregon State staffer, uh, offensive line coach Josh Oglesby, former Oregon State staffer. Um, oh boy, a couple more that I'm uh, hold. Please hold, TJ, as I pull up the uh, pull up the li- the list here. Ah, yes, Oregon State's favorite offensive coordinator during the Gary Anderson era, Kevin McGiven. Uh, defensive coordinator Derek Odom, who was the secondaries coach. Uh, during the Gary Anderson era, and then along with Joe Sayamalu, uh, Isaac's dad, coach with Mike Riley, and uh, former Oregon State recruit and and uh, uh, Jonathan Smith recruit, I should say, Matthew Tago will be starting at linebacker uh, for the uh, San Jose State Spartans. So fair to say that's Corvallis South. I mean, it's kind of crazy, you know, how things work and. I found it very interesting. I forget who asked uh, at the press conference about, you know, to Jonathan about, you know, the staff. And I found it very interesting that he was like, yeah, you know, we know, um, uh, you know, Lyle and, um, you know, Josh Oglesby, you know, right before he left, but didn't really say he had a lot of comings and goings with those uh, ex Anderson staffers. And I thought to myself, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want. I wonder why. I wonder why. So you know, again, not to, not to paint with a broad. Easter in the pot, Brendan. They they may be at a school that's appropriate for their coaching abilities. I'll, I'll put it that way. I'll put it that way. There we go. So so you know, again, TJ, there were some lean years, man. There were some lean years, and it's just very interesting that you know, um, a, a large 
portion of Gary Anderson's staff is still employed elsewhere. That's the, it's just interesting. That's all. It's an observation, not a criticism, TJ. What do we think Gary Anderson's doing right now? Is he golfing? Does he golf? That is a can of worms for a different podcast. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. That is that. That's definitely a uh, discussion for a different time. But I'll I'll let Beaver fans' emotions uh, carry it wherever you want. He might be golfing. He might be uh, you know um, windsurfing. Who knows? You know. But uh, I think everyone is uh, better off for it based on where they're at uh, now, TJ. But again, just had to mention. You know, it, it's crazy how many staffers and former you know, just connections there are to Corvallis. I don't think it would be like a reason, but like knowing that, you know, several of those coaches, like two of them in particular, their offensive and defensive coordinator, their tenures at Oregon state ended with, you know, them leaving. So I, I, I don't know that there maybe could be some extra motivation to, you know, get back at or, you know, you know what I'm kind of, you know, that little gamesmanship. Do you think there could be any of that from, just how connected this program is a little razzle dazzle in theory theory, i mean are they are they gonna see a trick play maybe i mean oregon state could pull out a trick play they could we saw tj and i might tj and i might have some intel on that we may have not been able to couple yeah we we haven't been able to necessarily too yeah we haven't been able to speak on it and uh you know for those uh who are listening you know like i said we every everyone played by the rules this year tj so we got to uh actually be watch all fall camp practices but uh right yeah there there are definitely some uh let's put it this way a little razzle dazzle up jonathan smith's sleeve folks so i i think uh you know, keep uh, keep that in mind. We could see some uh, some interesting offensive wrinkles just because yeah, it's, Jack. It's Cole... like it's like writing it down in your notebook. No, no, no. Oh, who threw that touchdown? Oh, yeah. <laughs> just because Jack Coletto's gone doesn't mean we're going to have unorthodox people holding the ball in their hands. I'll leave it at that. So yeah, we'll, yes, we'll, I concur. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll leave it at that. So uh, I'm excited. Speak to of see that, it. like, still, like, it'll be interesting to see who are they going to line up in that in that role for this game, like. I mean, you heard see Jonathan, that, like... I mean, you heard Jonathan on Monday, TJ. It might have been during y'all's power surge that you had on, on yeah. KJ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, either way, y'all heard Jonathan when he was uh, he was kind of discussing it. It, it. What do you think? It's going to be a mix. They, I mean, they said they're going to throw a bunch of different guys back there, and that wouldn't shock me. There's a lot of big bodies they they want to work in there, and what other what uh, it would be a fullback. It would right. be uh, – I don't know about the direct snap. To be honest, I don't even know if we saw any direct snaps. We didn't. In, I don't remember practice. seeing it. I don't, no, I don't think it. I remember seeing any any direct snaps. Not that – like, not in open practices, that's right. for sure. And it's so, definitely – like, Jonathan said, you know, three guys probably to replace the Coletto role with everything he did, offense, defense, and special teams. You know, true Ironman, man. That's why he was the Paul Horning Award winner for most versatile player in college football. Just saying. But, uh, you know, it's um, – you know, like I said, I think you could see Riley Sharp doing some of those things with yep. kind of the unique hybrid defensive offensive player. You know, Jonathan mentioned, not specifically with that, but just mentioned, you know, they really like his athleticism and being able to do more than just rushing the passer. So that's kind of reading between the lines there. I think one of the running backs who's the like the most physical, like Deshaun Fenwick maybe, could yeah you know, so, see something he took some direct snaps last year um those are like then, the running backs would all be pretty easy options like direct snapping to damien it's like yeah he's yeah. 
obviously he's going to run. But, but it's like, uh, yeah, but, it could if, be interesting. but if you're asking me, but if you're asking me right now, game on the line, like Fresno State last year, Coletto, you either get in or you lose to Fresno State. I don't know who probably I'd put Damian the ball. Martinez. I, I put the ball in DJ Uyangale's hands to be oh, or that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that if guy. You go, go to the Beavers Edge YouTube and, and listen to Brian Lindgren. There's some questions on that today on you know what kind of running he they they want him to do and it's said he said both right scrambling and and direct running if you and you listen to the like some of the players say like what it's like watching him run and guys try and tackle him it's like that's a big dude well let's put it this way tj he's 25 pounds bigger and four five inches taller than damian four inches taller than damian martinez yeah he's gonna be a tough guy to get on the ground and again, Damian Martinez is a physical back who's got good speed. TJ, could you tell me right now if in a straight line, like I think Martinez still wins in like a straight line running 40-yard dash. How far is DJ behind? Probably not very much. DJ moves pretty he's a, well. Like he's, for- he's a good he, – he does run pretty well, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's kind of hard. Kind of hard to think about. Is he wearing pads or not? Yes. Got pads. No. Because like okay. Well, DJ's then he's probably those- a little slower. Yeah, DJ is one of those guys. That I was able to say when they did run the zone read a little bit this this fall camp, and again, it wasn't very much, obviously, because I don't think they wanted DJ to, you know, be out there juking and running guys an awful lot. But you know, it seems like he's one of those guys that he winds up a little bit, and it's like once he gets going, he's gonna be really hard to bring down, as right. you mentioned. So you know, I think there's lots of candidates there, and and we'll kind of see how all that shakes out. But um, you know, obviously. Make sure to check back in uh, later this week as TJ, Dylan, and I will have our staff predictions for the game. We'll be given our um, our rough predictions on the game score-wise, but uh, don't expect any surprises. TJ, Dylan, and I are going to be going with the Beavers in this one. We don't see any reason as to why Oregon State would drop this game based on what we've seen. But again, for our expanded thoughts on that, make sure to check out the prediction and uh, also make sure to check out all of our content at beaversedge.com. TJ just mentioned the YouTube channel. We've also got... Uh, our commit stats rolling. We're going to start tracking all of Oregon State's uh, commits in their senior seasons. We've also, as I mentioned earlier, have 10 bold predictions, you know, for this season. Some are bolder than others, but a fun fun exercise and a fun read talking about uh, what could happen if Oregon State uh, reaches their absolute ceiling this year. So uh, definitely make sure to check that on out and uh, keep checking into BeaversEdge.com. We appreciate all your guys' support as you, uh, you know, continue to help us grow as a website. And uh, TJ and I have had a lot of fun this uh, this August bringing you guys content, whether it be uh, our interview with Jake Overman or our practice reports, you know, breaking them down post-practice. Uh, TJ, you know, we haven't done it, you know, since that last practice. And I was thinking this week, you know, the podcast is great, but I, I kind of miss our post-practice breakdowns, man. Those were fun. I know. Well, it's better to be in the same place at the same time. But, I mean, it maybe is. we should, like, record ourselves during the entire game we're sitting in the press box and then just, like, cut <laughs> it up to put it on YouTube. Yeah, they should just have, like, our – just zoomed in on our faces so you could just see our facial reaction. We're essentially like, just doing a vlog. Yeah, just, like, just you know, like, again, what I would not have given to uh, – if, if there could have been, a like, a time-lapse – of my face throughout the course of this last year's civil war, I would pay to see that. Like my face when it was, you know, a little lopsided compared to my face when I was like, you know, because I remember being like, ah, yes, you know, gotta, gotta, you know, start writing on this uh, unfortunate. Oh, okay. Let's, uh, let's, let's rewrite here. Hashtag rewrite, man. 
So yeah, it's definitely it would be a a picture worth a thousand words sometimes to have that live vlog from uh, the press the press box. But TJ and I might have to uh, show you guys the uh, an expanded look uh, at the new digs in the press box this year. Obviously, uh, we're talking two weeks when the Beavers host uh, UC Davis. But I know TJ is excited. I am. Yeah, you know, we got a chance to view the tour. They gave us some boozy beverages, TJ. Now I'm That's just the excited. That's first to- and last time that'll ever happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> But regardless, I'm excited to see, uh, you know, again, how uh, the how that stadium is when we crank it up to 10 and, you know, it's full of fans, full of media and, you know, just the, the entire just entirety of it. And, you know, you hear Mike Parker in his broadcast booth and, and all those things. So it's going to be exciting. I'm excited to bring you guys an awesome year of uh, football and uh, TJ as well. Like I said, we're we're definitely gearing up for a big time season here at Beaver's Edge. And like I said, continue to stay locked in uh, on Twitter. Follow TJ, follow myself, and uh, follow Beaver's Edge, Dylan Callahan Crowley, as we will continue to keep you guys locked in on the team and the recruiting side. And a reminder again Oregon State, San Jose State, Sunday, 12 30 p.m. on CBS. It's going to be an exciting game. And again, Oregon State on national television on a Sunday, uh, again, taking advantage of that first uh, Labor Day weekend with no NFL games. So uh, make sure to stay locked into beaversedge.com. We'll have complete coverage of that matchup. Uh, leading all the way up to it, we'll have, uh, obviously, our predictions and much, much more. Uh, Dylan will be diving into uh, the recruits and how they match up on the field for the game. So ton of great content coming down the pipe. And, uh, again, big shout-out to everyone for uh, listening to this edition of the Edge Podcast. For TJ Mathewson, I'm Brendan Slaughter, signing off.